Hey everybody, welcome to LifeBridge Online. Whenever it is you're watching this, we are grateful that once again, you are allowing us to be part of your life. You are allowing us to come into your car, into your headphones, in, into your living room as you might be watching this on TV. We are grateful for this opportunity to minister to you. And we pray, we, we have people who are praying that this message and the Word of God will impact your life. As a matter of fact, let's pray that very prayer right now as we get into our teaching today. Father, meet us where we are. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for just you being everywhere, uh, no matter what we're doing. As we hear your word today, Lord, I pray that it speaks right to our life. It's life-changing. So many people have experienced it. And I pray that this teaching is consistent with your desire. Lord, that, that you want to see us draw closer to you. You want to see us become more like you. And so, Father, I pray that through this, our faith increases. We love you, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Imagine with me, if you will, and, and this might not be a stretch in this day and age, but imagine that you are the only moral person that you know. Imagine looking around the world, your neighborhood, your workplace, uh, your kids' school, your, your, your children's travel ball teams, and you cannot find another soul with the same moral standards of living that you have. And what a dark world that would be, right? What a lonely world world that would be. This is the case of one of the most popular stories from the Bible. Noah was a man who found favor with God. Yeah, you hear the word Noah and you automatically think ark. Just follow me along as we kind of recap the, the story of Noah and the ark. Uh, God was fed up with the human race not just a little peeved, he is ticked. I mean, he's ticked to a level that we can't even understand. He actually has regret over creating people because of the way they are now living. God is so fed up. His only option is that he is going to wipe people from the face of the earth. He's going to get rid of everybody except for one. Check this passage out in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm so sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. One guy in his family 
who are worth saving in God's eyes. That's it. Noah was blameless, and he walked in close fellowship with God. And so God decides that he is going to destroy all living things. I mean, think about how fed up God must really be. Humans are the ones who have, uh, as Genesis says, became totally evil. They were consistently and totally evil. And so God is so fed up that not only is he going to punish the, the human race all around the world, he's going to get rid of every living land creature, anything that flies, anything that walks on the ground. But he's going to save the human race through Noah. He's going he's gonna to have a do-over, if you will, and it's going to come through Noah's bloodline. And if you're this guy, if you're, if you're Noah, if you're the guy that God chooses to save the human race, that's kind of a big deal, don't you think? I mean, God's like looking at the earth. He's like, there's absolutely no one, absolutely no one. The only person I have is the guy, Noah, who walks in close fellowship with me. That is a big deal. So God's going to work through Noah. He's going to save Noah and his family. But then God says this, Noah, I'm going to repopulate the earth through your bloodline. I'm going to save the planet. I'm going to save everything that, that you see here through you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a big boat. And I want you to put a pair, male and female, of every kind of animal that walks and flies. I want you to put those on the boat. Now, I'm not sure how the mosquito made it. Um, if Noah were ever going to be disobedient, I think this is where we break one of the rules. All right, let's get rid of those pests. But try to put yourself in Noah's shoes or his sandals. God just asked you to build a boat in the middle of the desert where it hasn't rained in who knows how long, and it's a big boat in the middle of the desert. If, if you've ever been to Kentucky to, to go through the Ark Encounter, you know how big this thing is. It's monstrous. It's huge. And on top of building a big boat, you have to go and round up all the animals in the wild and get them on board. Which I'm telling you right now, I do not for one minute think that this was as organized as every children's Bible portrays it to be. When you look at the, the paintings, when you look at children's books, they're always lined up, already paired, in a long line going over the hill out of, out of the picture. You see all the animals lined up pair by pair. I do not for one moment think that that was how it was. I don't think it was that organized. I think that the gathering up of these animals was a daunting task. And so God says, I'm going to save the human race through your bloodline, Noah, because you walk with me. But here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to save your family by putting them on a boat. And I'm going to put them on a boat with all the animals. That way, you know, I don't have to start over from scratch. And here's the crazy thing. Noah said, okay. Noah gave the Lord a big yes, sir. 
and he started to work. I just think through this story, if you will. Now think about this moment. What is it that causes someone to say yes? Is it the fact that, hey, Noah, you have two options. Uh, one, you can go with everybody else. I'm going to kill everybody. Or two, is there something else that's within whom the person, the man Noah is, that causes him to say yes? I'm going to kill all living things. I'm, I'm going to take the earth back to day two of the creation story where there's nothing but water and light. And then I'm going to save the human race through you, Noah. What causes you to say yes to this? Is it just fear? I don't want to die? Or is there more to it than that? The answer is actually faith. That's what causes someone to say yes to God. Belief alone will not prompt you to say yes to, to some crazy, absurd request like this. Faith is what spurs someone along to say yes. Faith is bigger and better than belief in something. But here's the thing about faith, and this is what separates faith from belief. Faith requires a response. That's what James is writing in chapter 2 of his letter. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 18. He says this, Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. The point that James is making in this section of this letter is that faith moves you to be obedient in action. That, that's what faith does. I mean, you can be a good person with good deeds, but faith moves you to be someone who is obedient and, and it's lived out in action. So there's a response. Faith requires a response. So let's talk about this response, if you will, for just a few minutes. The response that comes with faith. If the difference between faith and belief is a response, hey, we need to understand some things that go along with responding to God. Here's some things you need to understand. If if you move from just having a belief in God to having a faith in God, you're going to have to respond. And, and so here's some points about the response. First off, uh, the response is going to be challenging. Uh, like, I mean, that's just how God works. If he's calling you to do something, if he's asking you for a step of faith, and he is, we'll get to that to the, at the end of this teaching, the response to that is going to be challenging. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of fame of faith, the author of Hebrews just lists person after person after person who are faithful people. And almost every single one, every example is of someone of great faith. They had a daunting task, a daunting leap of faith, if you will, that they had to take. You know, right now in my personal study time, I'm reading through the book of 
uh, of Daniel. And I'm, I'm trying to examine some stories within that book. And I can't help but think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Th these men had to demonstrate great faith even before going into the fire, even in the, in the confrontation with, with the king, even as they're being bound, they had to demonstrate great faith. Even as the, the guards who are approaching the furnace start to fall over dead because it's heated seven times hotter than it usually is, faith had to be demonstrated. And the response was, we trust that God is going to save us. And they're like, even if he doesn't, it's better for us. They had to demonstrate this faith. And so the response is often challenging. Noah, build a boat in the middle of the desert. Gather animals two by two, each kind. Put them on there. These are extremely challenging tasks. The, the second thing I would say about understanding the response is that the response is often uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, God's going to ask us to do something that's going to increase our faith, and we, we have to respond to that. And oftentimes the response is uncomfortable. If my math is right, Noah was locked in the ark for five months with a bunch of animals, and his family. Put yourself there, if you will. Five months inside a boat with hundreds of animals and your family. I mean, think about this. A lot of families can't even survive the holidays. They can't even survive Christmas Day without getting into an argument that, that leads to you know people being mad and we, we, we shun people. We're like, okay, I'm not going to talk to you until Easter uh, at the next family gathering. We, we, we bicker, we fight, we just and it's not inside a boat with a bunch of animals. Noah's family is stuck inside this vessel bobbing up and down. And they had these extreme chores. I mean, they have the responsibility of keeping the animals alive. They have got to feed them every day. They got to water them every day. There's so much going on. Oh yeah, and they're confined inside a boat with a bunch of animals. I mean, think about the smell. You know it smelled. You know they got tired of eating the same diet over and over again. You know they got tired of going days, maybe even weeks at a time without seeing any type of sunlight. You know they got tired of not being able to breathe fresh air. Yeah, we know there was a window, but can you imagine? I've got this one small window there. The response within faith will often lead us to being uncomfortable. Growing up in church in the early part of my ministry, I used to take mission trips to Mexico. It's one of those things that it was just ingrained within me that, that as a pastor leading a flock, you, you take the opportunity to, to go on the mission field, to go into the world. And so I've enjoyed mission trips, and Mexico was the place. And here's the thing. Uh, I've, I've been to Mexico a dozen times, uh, either for leisure or serving in the mission field. Mexico became very comfortable for me. One night I was sitting in a class as a youth minister, and I don't tell this story very often, but I was sitting in a class and I was actually preaching on Matthew 28, the Great Commission. 
We talked about that two weeks ago right here. And in the middle of that class, got about 10 or 12 students gathered around. We're sitting there talking about this great commission. In the middle of this, it's just impressed upon me like I see it on the page before me, the word Zimbabwe. Now, truth be told, I, I didn't know where Zimbabwe was. I kind of hate to admit that. I knew it was in Africa, but I didn't know where it was. I had to look it up. I did not even know someone who knew someone who lived or served in Zimbabwe. And so I, I began this, this conviction, this weight was on me to go to Mexico, and I mean to go to Zimbabwe. And so I started reaching out to people, one missionary after another. I knew no one until I was connected with a hospital in Mashoko, which is the African bush, if you will. Been to Zimbabwe now, I think six, seven times to the same hospital. And here's what I can say about this. It's very much uncomfortable. Uh, the, the journey is just, for me, flying airplanes, you, from the time you walk out of your house to the time you get on the property in Mashoko, it is a two-day journey, two days of traveling in airports, riding trains, in cars, on rough roads, not knowing if you're going to be to go to the bathroom, you know, in at a, at a facility. It, it is uncomfortable, but it's a response to God saying, here's what I want you to do. And so we have been serving those people for several years now. Going to be taking a trip again next summer, uh, 2022. Would it love for you to come along with us? But as I sit here and even say those words, there's some dread in my life of knowing, man, Lord, I know you want me to do this, but wow, it is an uncomfortable trip. That's what happens when you respond to faith. Sometimes you're going to be made uncomfortable. The next thing, the response, the response that separates faith from belief is oftentimes lonely. I mean, think about Noah and his situation. I know he has his family there in the ark, but can you imagine being the only family who's actually faithful? The only family that fears God, that has reverence for the Lord? No one else on the planet was worthy of being saved. God said to Noah, build a boat in the desert. I mean, think about that. What do we need a boat in the desert for? It's going to flood. It hadn't rained in years here. You're in the desert. You know that Noah was scoffed at. You know that he was the butt of jokes around town. He, he, people talked about him. People made fun of him. You've probably been there before under some type of circumstances where, man, you, you just were an outcast. You were different. When you are doing something that no one else is doing, man, you feel lonely, don't you? Something that no one else is going through, you feel lonely. That can be tragedy. That could be illness. People feel lonely when they're isolated and they're doing something that no one else is doing. The response 
is often a lonely feeling. But then we've got to talk about this. What if I choose not to respond, right? Like, like what if I say, hey, I, I'm comfortable being in the belief stage. I, I've got a pretty nice life. I go to church. I participate there in some activities. And you know, I give a little bit of money a couple times a month. And this pretty much summarizes my relationship with the Lord. But what, what if I just choose to stay right here and not enter into the faith, the response stage? Here's the thing. we got to be aware of this, church. There are consequences for not responding. Destruction and death is what came to the people outside the ark. And there are dozens of examples of this very thing found in Scripture. Every time God's people decided to not respond, every time God's people were challenged with stepping out on faith, they always end up, ended up being punished. They always ended up being sent into captivity. Death and destruction follow a lack of response. But here's the cool thing. As you respond, God will equip you. Yeah, as you decide that, man, God's putting something on my heart and I'm going to respond. I'm going to do what he asked me to do. God will always equip you. I think about the story of LifeBridge. It's a perfect example of this. Man, as we responded to God and the path he was leading two unhealthy congregations toward, it's incredible. He has met every need, and he has always equipped us with what we need. Anytime that there's been a, a ministry opportunity, people step up. People feel convicted to lead. He has always provided opportunity and resources. I, I know personally many times in life and, and certainly in ministry, I want to make sure I have all the answers before I commit to something. I want to make sure I have all the details or all the information. But here's the thing with the Lord. Oftentimes when we respond, he's not going to give us everything right there. We're not going to always have the answers. We're not going to have all the information. But here's the cool thing. God always provides. He always equips a few weeks ago, I was uh, on a Sunday morning, I was, I was working out before church. I was at the gym, and um, I had noticed for some time this, this gentleman who had also been working out on Sunday mornings and, and every other time I was there. This guy was there over and over and over again. And, and for months, I've, I've observed this guy, and he's, he, he's really done well. He's been disciplined. You can see the weight that he is losing. He gets after it in the gym. He works hard. And I noticed this guy. One Sunday morning as I'm, I'm driving to, to the gym, I just feel this nudge within me. Go talk to him. I, now, that's not me. That's not my style. I like to go to the gym, do my work, be left alone, and, and leave. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to bother anybody. But it just kept going the whole way to the gym. Go talk to him. Go talk to him. Well, I pull up to the gym, and I'm kind of wishing he's not there. Sure enough, there he is. He's working out. So I start my routine, and I start going through my routine. And I, I'm, I'm usually there an hour and ten to an hour and a half. 
And this particular day, it's about an hour and 15 minutes. And I go through the entire workout. And I never speak to them. I never go up to them. But that's all I keep hearing within me. I'm not, I can't even pay attention to the music. Go talk to them. Go talk to them. And, and, and the funny thing about this, our gym, God wanted me to speak to this guy. And I was refusing to do it. I was refusing to respond to what he was asking me to do. At our gym, we have to clean down the, the equipment after we use it. And so you go to these cleaning stations and I'm actually at one of the cleaning stations. I get the paper towels and I spray it down. And as I turn around to go back to the, the machine that I'm working on, he's standing right there. And I say these words, excuse me. And I walk on by and I'm done. And I'm headed out of the gym. As I'm getting my jacket on and I'm getting all my stuff, I stop. And I'm like, God wants me to go talk to this guy. And I have no idea what I'm going to say. I have no idea. Like, my mind now is emptier than it normally is. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a conversationalist. I love to engage people and, and, and I, I, can, I can be an extrovert when I have to and talk and, and, and I have no idea what I'm going to say, but there's something in me saying, walk over there. And so I walk over to this machine where this guy's working out and he is, he's doing these cable flies and he, he, he is sitting there and he is, he is working out and I just come and I just awkwardly stand in front of him. And, and he's like just right there. And he's, he's doing these things. I'm just a few feet from where his arms are coming together. And it's real awkward in that moment. I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I feel like a jerk because I'm interrupting the guy. But he puts his weights down and he takes his headphones off. And as he does, words just start coming out of my mouth. God will always provide. He equips us when we respond. God provided Noah with everything he needed to build an ark. He even provided the water to give it something to float on. And here's the last thing about a response I want to share with you. God rewards those who respond. Yeah. It may not be like in the visible. It may not be in the monetary. It may not be anything materialistic, but God rewards those who respond. Go back to Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He rewards those who sincerely seek him. Church, as you respond, it's, it's scary. It, it makes us, it's challenging, it's uncomfortable, it's lonely. But he's going to equip you. And he's going to reward you. Faith requires a response. So hallelujah today, right? 
we're sitting here, we're listening to this and we're, we're processing this out. Praise the Lord. God is not asking any of us to build a boat in a desert. Like, I mean, pray, hallelujah. You know, but here's the thing about God. God's not going to ask everyone to do something as drastic as build an ark. God's certainly not going to ask all of us to sell everything we own and move to the jungles of India to serve as missionaries. Like, that's not how God works. We read these extreme stories in the Bible, and they're cool stories to motivate us, to teach us, to encourage us to do these things. But but there were always people around who, who God's using in everyday life. God's not always asking us to build arcs. He's not always asking us to go to the lion's den. But here's the thing. This morning, he is asking something of all of us. And it requires faith. In your life, where you sit right now, in, with what you've got going on, he's asking something of all of us. What he is asking will be challenging. What he's asking can cause you to be uncomfortable. What he is asking will quite possibly lead you to being lonely. But as we respond to the thing he is asking, he will equip us for everything we need. And then you better believe he's going to reward you. All God is asking is that we die to self. That's what he's asking. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Don't miss this next part. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the response. I'm going to die to self. He leads me to India to serve as a missionary, then go. But the journey, the step, the response takes place right now. Are you willing to die to self? Are you willing to, to quit living for you and to start living in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. Will you respond to that? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I, I, I want to, Michael. I don't know what to do. What is my response? What is my next step? Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search my life, O Lord. Reveal to me anything that I am doing that might be offensive to you. Will you pray that prayer? And maybe it'll take today it's answered. Maybe it'll be answered tomorrow. Maybe it'll be answered three weeks from now. But will you pray that prayer? And as God reveals things to you, 
will you take the step? Will you respond and die to self? Until next week, we'll see you.